Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. This week we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 13, Angel 1. And this episode, Paul, is one of those, uh, I like to describe them as a in-a-world type of sci-fi premise because it's uh, you visit yeah. a very very Earth-like planet, but you take one thing and make it dominant about that planet, and uh, then the rest is, is the episode. So to help us talk about this episode, uh, we also have Ed joining us once again. Thanks uh, for joining us, Ed. Uh, not, a, not a problem. Thanks, guys. And you're setting me. you're setting yourself up for uh, quite the track record for starting off with uh, justice <laughs> with us, and then now your follow up uh, Angel One. Um, yeah. What uh, do you do? You have a particular thing that draws you to this episode, or or what uh, what made you want to want to really talk about Angel One? So you mentioned that it's the um, imagine a world where kind of storyline, I suppose, and I think that this one in particular with the sort of uh, matriarchal society I find interesting because I think that this is a, a tried and true trope of uh, sci-fi um, and for whatever reason this fascination of what if we just flipped the script and what our world is right now um, I, I find those to be some of the more compelling and interesting weird shows because every show does one it seems like and then their takes are always a little different um, so yeah that's I think what it drew me to this one in particular yeah, because the big the big script flip in this one is that uh, it is a, a, a matriarchal society rather than a, a patriarchal society. So, um, it, and they take that to some interesting places because not only are are women dominant in uh, the politics and the leadership of the society, but they also play with like existing gender stereotypes and gender roles within society, so that. Um, you know, essentially, dudes are pretty, um, <laughs> which I thought was yeah, yeah. was like an interesting choice. That um, you know, they're they're smaller in size and stature. They're the ones who adorn themselves with more uh, you know colorful garments. Uh, they wear perfume, um, and I think some of that was maybe just an excuse to get Riker into one of those outfits. But <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. Yeah, I'm about sure that. he wrote that into his contract. <laughs> It's like, listen, open-chested, uh, spangly yeah. costume. Got to have this thing uh, once. Sixty percent chest hair. <laughs> and I think he was the only guy in the episode who, who had any chest hair to speak of, which was also kind of funny. But uh, the the Enterprise always has to have a reason to visit these places, and and this particular reason is um, they're they're looking for some folks. There's a freighter by the name of Odin. Uh, that had been disappeared for, or it had dropped off of scanners and, and basically fallen off the face of the universe seven years prior. And I'm trying to remember exactly what kickstarted all of a sudden them them now searching. They found the wreckage of the Odin, oh. but the escape escape pods are gone. And we're like, well, where could they have gotten to? Yeah, yeah, okay. So the, yeah, that's uh, the only place. Yep, Angel One is the nearest Class M planet uh, for those survivors. So. Um. Yeah, I think they say in the episode it's been 62 years since the last Federation yep. contact with uh, with the planet. So, well, it's just such a long time. Yeah. Um. I think maybe it's because the last episode, um, so Data Lorp, they have a similar time gap of 26 years. It's like that's just a lot of time 
to not do something, right? You're like, oh, we kind of want these people to be in the, the Federation. Eh, we haven't seen them in a long time, but let's go check. Right. Yeah. There's there's kind of, um, I think in, in Star Trek The Next Generation, there's there's a lot of that where um, if if the original series was a lot about like the new frontier and wagon train to the stars, um, I feel like Next Generation tries to do that and they try to put in those references if only to paint the Federation, I think, more as this now established empire that like, you know, the Enterprise even itself isn't, you know, they say the mission is to, you know, seek out, you know, new life and new civilizations. But they're doing a lot of milk run kind of stuff. They're doing a lot of, um, hey, let's just go check in over there. Let's go say hi to those people. Let's plant the flag over here. Let's, um, you know, let's do these kind of uh, maintenance tasks that a large, you know, space empire would be doing. Um, well, mm-hmm. when they get asked about it, right, um, mm-hmm. one of the characters says, like, you know, this doesn't seem like the kind of thing that the starship should be doing or the flagship. Right, I forget what part of the episode, but they call it out. Uh, like, well, you know, yeah, sure. We yeah. We were close I, either of their stated purposes would be overkill to send an entire that size vessel because they only assume there's a, a, only a few of the potential survivors anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why would you need, like, even if they're just coming to say hi, and even if they were coming to also or go get those other people, it's like, it's kind of like bringing out, you know, a cannon to a like a water gun fight you know yep that's a fair point i mean you have to kind of wonder from the perspective of the people who live on angel one what that would be like to be like you know we haven't heard from these people in 62 years and they sent this giant city in space to just make a house call like okay Mm -hmm. what's going on guys well it also gets into um at the beginning of the episode I, i think they make a call back to 20 mid 20th century earth um, that that's like where they are technologically, mm-hmm. um, and I guess somehow they know that about the present. Um, but then, sixty-two years ago, so you're talking about late nineteenth-century Earth. Imagine a starship coming down, right? Right. right yeah. Even even mid twentieth century would be bad, mm-hmm. but just how much it would disrupt the civilization is well, that assumes that they progress at the same rate right so maybe sure they don't <laughs> maybe that's why the 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 uh they're like well we can take our time with these people they just don't seem to advance at all so uh, <laughs> maybe they've been we'll check out another 150 years and see mid 20th pretty... century earth for 200 years <laughs> yeah that's i guess that's possible that's a good that's a good point it brings up a lot of questions in terms of like what constitutes uh peers in in like the space universe right because eventually they sort of establish this like this warp barrier like hurdle for entry right that like if you're going to be part of the club if you're if you're we're considering you for federation candidacy if if we're going to basically deal with you on a on a normal you know society to society to society basis you kind of got to have a warp drive like i think they look at that as as the the hurdle that you've got to get past and they kind of clearly cement that in in first contact when that's kind of the rule that the Vulcans had for for you know saying hey, um, but none of that is clearly present here. So there's a lot of these weird like well, let's just go say hey to these people even though we have no reason to be on their planet. I guess. Remind me what the prime directive is at this point in the series. They they're real vague about it. They're they're real real vague about it. <laughs> Essentially, non interference is the prime directive, which. Paul, to get to your point earlier, 
it's pretty damn interfering to have uh, these giant technological overlords stop by your planet for you know a few minutes even if they're just looking for seven people from from a freighter or whatever whatever the number is four 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 people from yeah seven years ago four people seven years ago yeah so um some of those rules i think eventually do come about because of these you know unanswered questions but here it's just like i don't know go with it because we gotta find them for reasons and they they sort of this whole episode sort of runs into um the search and it changes the motivation for finding these people like multiple times because at first it's like well we should find them to bring them home and then we should find them because the people on this planet want us to find them and then eventually they find them and they realize that the reason that the people from angel one wanted the people from the freighter odin to be found is because they've started a little mini cultural revolution which is adorable that a bunch of dudes on a freighter are like men's rights on a planet filled with women because the episode deals with that completely unironically yeah, um, yeah. which is kind of tough to take i mean really yeah. well it also raises some questions that like they're living in a cave yep and it's walking distance from the place that they are because they teleport there but it's shown that the second in command has walked there right or trans- gotten there somehow i guess yeah. it's just in it's in driving distance yep she ubered there um <laughs> but it's like how hard would it really be to find these people yeah apparently somehow beyond the capabilities of of angel one but the enterprise finds them in minutes because uh was it platinum or something platinum. Is that one? yeah, yeah yep. platinum mm-hmm so I think it just reinforces my my theory that they just do everything really slowly. <laughs> and that, like they maybe have only made it in seven years, like a hundred yards from you know wherever their capital is or whatever. <laughs> uh, Fair point. Either, you because it's been they've been there for seven years. They've been there. Um, they said it took like five months on the uh, the escape pods, but that they they'd been like fugitives for seven years or something it's like a long time unless i've got my time i think they they lived with them for a while but then they they became fugitives and left so oh so it's even even longer than even if it was 50 50 but yeah i'm not sure what that exact time frame was from the that that list but but ed you're 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 making some controversial statements about the matriarchal society and (laughs) it would progress Hey. The speed with which they they move. <laughs> all I'm saying is I need further evidence <laughs> of how fast their progression is. Got uh, all these reasons that that the uh, <clears throat> Starfleet's not interested in really like I don't know, like because they said maybe in the future that they would be interested in. I think that's another stated point for why they are, are going there. Right? Is that they're like, well, maybe we could incorporate them at some point well and um, uh, i was watching for this i, I watched this twice um and i was watching for it the second time because it slipped by me so much the first um i forget who actually makes i think it might even be picard who makes the uh, makes a statement that the planet is kind of more strategic possibly just by the location hmm. um that it would be good to have it in the federation so that's I think the case they're making, and they make it so quickly, uh, is just that this is, you know, this is a place where if we had some presence here, you know, would help 
with our borders or something like that. But they're not necessarily saying it's something about resources or um, technology or uh, or people or anything like that. It just feels like location. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do remember that now that you bring that up, which is kind of a crummy thing to say about, you know, the Federation, really, that they're just like, well, we're kind of interested in this planet, but only because it's in a good spot. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. hmm, interesting. Um, while all this is playing to, uh, playing out on the planet, which um, I'm trying to remember the key players uh, in the episode. There's Mistress Beata, who is the mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the leader of Angel One. Um, her and Riker uh, <laughs> spend some time together. We'll we'll get back to that. Um, there's also Ariel, which is uh, Mistress Beata's second in command, and then mm-hmm. uh, the guy who they'll eventually find the the leader of of the um, Odin. Uh, the Odin. The Odin, yeah. And I'm trying to remember his name. Ramsey. Ramsey. That's Ramsey, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, well, Trent. Oh yeah, Trent. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, Trent is. Uh, is uh, Riker's role model in how to be a dude in this culture, I guess. <laughs> he's uh, one of Mistress Beata's uh, male servants, is how uh, he's listed. Um, interesting fellow there. Um, while all this is playing out on the planet, there's also, um, there has to be something happening up on the ship. Otherwise, you know, where's the tension? So, um, we were talking about this before the episode, and we're not 100% sure how it came to be or what it's called but this mystery (laughs) illness uh springs up on the enterprise and the only thing that we know about it is that it's it's some kind of virus uh it smells like klingons (laughs) which is Mm -hmm. weird um and it's it the thing spreads like wildfire because it takes down an entire galaxy class starship in the span of like a day so who has a cool name for this uh this virus hmm anybody I was going to say Zika, but that's taken. Ooh. <laughs> topical. Too topical. Ooh. <laughs> it won't be topical by the time this episode comes out. But that's true. Pro- <laughs> that's probably let's hope, point. anyway. Let's hope. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was going to say a ski disease. Ski, ski disease? Ski fever? Huh? Ooh, huh? ski fever. Yeah, big <laughs> Calling this, this ski fever from now on. We could also, I mean, you could throw in some flair and just call it Klingon ski fever. Um Mm-hmm. Which oh that is actually I mean it's an aside but it's one of my favorite lines of the episode where um, Worf says something I think it's about a sneeze it might be a sneeze or a cough but um, mm-hmm. yeah and, he says he's and, going to sneeze and, and he says, Jordy says like a Klingon sneeze <laughs> it's like the only one I know I remember that <laughs> yeah so, oh, yeah yeah like wow oh, that's <laughs> just such a fun line the, the the like the whole episode i was trying to understand so the b story is you know the, is the this virus and you know they set it up pretty poorly i uh, wesley and his friends went on some trip it's like their first they, they came down with it um but it's kind of like a bait and switch because they went on some kind of like field trip uh they mentioned that at some point but at the beginning they're just going on the holodeck to go skiing um, and at that point, they're already sick because when they throw a snowball out of the holodeck, it hits Picard and, and Worf, and they're not very happy about it. And that's when Worf's like, oh, it smells like, you know, a smell I remember or something like that. And that's how the virus spreads. But, like, the whole time I was just going, like, how is this interesting or relevant? And then I realized that it struck me as, I, if I was imagining the writing of this episode, I feel like they wrote all of the on-planet stuff first. And then they were trying to build in what everyone else was doing. And they were like, 
well, we need a convenient way that they couldn't just beam them off the planet. So let's invent this virus. Yeah, it's like quarantine. Quarantine's always good for that. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it was. I think it was an after the, after the fact thing of like, well, how are we going to keep them on the planet? Um, and, and probably like two episodes prior, there was some malfunction with, you know, the transporter or something. So they couldn't use that. Um, yep. So, you know, they had to use <laughs> the, next, the next best thing. Well, they also needed some sort of compelling reason to try to not only prevent them from, uh, from leaving, uh, from, from beaming up on the, you know, on the planet, but they also just needed to prevent them from leaving, I think. Um, right. Because at, at some point, the whole thing on Angel One sort of gets ridiculous, right? Like, there's just, um, th- there's very little reason for the Enterprise to, like, stick around, um, I think, other yep. than um, this virus just basically prevents them from, from like, it's weird. It kind of prevents them from leaving, but they also sort of have to leave because they also introduce that that other subplot with the with the Romulan neutral zone, which yeah, right. I forgot about that entirely until I was watching this episode. Then I got sort of excited because I was like, "Wait, Romulans!" And then it doesn't go anywhere. Oh yeah, and it's weird. It's it's, it's like a a sea story, really, because it's not part of the ski fever plotline. The Romulan. No, they just built it in for urgency. Yeah, like we have to leave. You know, you got to make a decision because otherwise, you know, this could turn into a six month trial. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, come on, we got to get somewhere. Well, yeah. yeah, and it is. It's it's weird because they have that that B plot. Um, and then they, they must have thought like, well, yeah, but that doesn't build the time urgency because we can't just say like the virus is going to kill them or something, because then that's more than a B plot. Um, yeah. So let's have this weird C plot. And right when all this stuff kind of comes up, I think it's about the same time when um, I'd like to point out the further adventures of William T. Riker, uh, Starfleet's worst middle manager, Um, (laughs) which in this episode, I feel like Riker, um, Riker is very bad at his job in in this episode because, I mean, for real, everybody else in the episode is doing something to try to help, be it. The other members of his away team who are at times, I guess, searching for Ramsey and the Odin crew or trying to figure out, you know, how they can get out of this pickle to people on the ship who are, you know, dealing with the virus and what's going on with that. And his basic like thing that he's doing through most of the episode is telling people what to do, then saying, no, no, I I should stay here to uh to further, con, con, you know, whatever uh, with Mistress Beata, and then they just go and make out. Like that's <laughs> that's basically it. And I'm just like Riker, come on, man, you can't. <laughs> you've got to do something. Well, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> arguable because you could also argue that he was being extremely, uh, like, sort of attuned to the situation, and that like she was immediately into him. And they might, he might need to, you know, sort of like play up that relationship, which is probably against the prime directive in some <laughs> yeah, way, yeah, very uh, even though they can interact or whatever they say. Um, but you know that that he supposedly she, you know, he she spares their lives at the end because you know she had like a change of heart about uh, uh, you know equality of men and women, 
although incremental, as Shigan mentions, incremental change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just saying, guys, it's, it's all over the episode. <laughs> That's true. It's there. <laughs> she pushes it off. <laughs> you know, yeah, like actually, she wants them the furthest at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which what? is probably like ten yards further than they were in that. You know, in that that hovel they were living in. That's true. Um, That's true. But, Welcome uh, to Angel yeah, One, I, where where baby steps get on the bus. <laughs> you know, right? Moving the chains, moving the chains. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. So I don't know. There's so much Riker winking and nodding in this episode oh. that uh, I think I like both love and hate it at the same time so, because of that. So if I give you, you know, if I if I try to walk down that path and say, sure, maybe Riker is running interference, right? That he's causing the distraction so that Troy and Yarn Data can go find these guys without as much um, problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about, so this is all about switching genders, um, the, the the gender stereotypes and all that sort of stuff. If you thought about this episode flipped again, right, and you had now um, a female captain, so say Janeway, uh, conveniently, and they ran across a planet that was super patriarchal. And they went down, and they're like, "Oh, we're looking for a ship full of people, and oh, we need to we need to distract them." So Janeway, why don't you just seduce the, you know, president of the planet? Mm-hmm. That feels like a horrible episode, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but you're 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 basing that on current Earth uh, uh, norms, right? Well, so. I guess what I'm saying is, if if this is a flip of normal, then flipping it again should get it back closer to normal. Right, and, and flipping it doesn't because so much of it, I guess it's Riker, right? Maybe that's the problem. That Riker is still just injecting normal sexism into it and just trying to be Kirk. Right? Yeah. Well, also there's this uh, there's this other weird like uh, component of it that they 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 mentioned that not only are the men like treated differently and treated more like you know women have historically been treated in in, in human society, but they. They also mentioned that in their like sort of their outward appearance, their phenotypes are oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that the men are small, right? Yep. And so uh, the the women see this guy who's closer to their size, and you know it's it's like a thing they don't see um, very often. And so you could see how that would be almost like coercive on Riker's part. Yeah, that, like, yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying, right? You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's um. But you know he's he he does. In the few times that he is speaking when not making out with her, he is talking about uh, equality uh, and 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 sort of, you know, the the Federation's you know kind of ideas about it. You know, I, I was talking to someone the other day about the, about Next Generation, and I realized that like <clears throat> they're you know obviously uh, portrayed as being very progressive, right? They they have equality and and they have all these these very high high minded ideals. And I never really think about that when watching the show. Like I'm still vis- I'm still looking at the show through my lens of the society that I live in, and um, not from the perspective of someone who's you know in the Federation. And so, like I think what you're saying, Paul, like your example, sounds really horrible to us. Like her seducing uh, uh, you know a male-dominated society or whatever, a matri- or patriarchal society. Um, that sounds horrible because like. We live in that society, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so yeah. I, I don't know if uh, if it's the it's hard. It's harder. It's harder to interpret it from the the perspective of someone who lives in like an egalitarian society because we don't really do that. Yeah, so it's hard to take that perspective on it. Well, well, and I guess either either Riker is 
trying to take advantage of the situation, like you said, or he's just being sleazy. <laughs> well, he might be doing both. He could be a little <laughs> or, column or A, both. a little column B, sure. But I'm not. I'm not sure there's any. I'm not sure there's another thing that explains his behavior. Well, there's part. Yeah, and they also. There, I, 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 I want to jump in here at one point and just say this. There's a problem, I think, with the relationship that yeah. happens between Beata and Riker. And Paul, I think you were trying to hint on it, and and I, I think I see where you're going with it. And it's it struck me while I was watching it too, because. Um, if the premise for this society is that, you know, not only are, are women dominant, but they're also physically uh, larger, um, they're, they're, you know, they're built like men are built on this planet versus, you know, men being built more like women are on this planet, stereotypically slash historically slash what have you, right? Okay. Um for her to instantly <laughs> uh, be drawn to uh, a man who is larger than a man from her planet uh, and be compelled by his assertive nature um, and be drawn to his you know inner charm like the whole thing kind of breaks down into a male power fantasy I think as the episode progresses because Really, all this planet of women needs is for a real dude to show up and bingo, you know, shoot from the hip. Ha ha, Riker's going to bed this chick. You know, like, I mean, as I was watching it, I was like, eh, gross, TNG. Come on, you're better than this. Because really, I mean, it's it's not, I think a more compelling story would have been her to be the more uh, aggressive, her the more assertive, uh, her the more... Uh, person really trying to bed Riker and instead it's just Riker doing the same lame Cheezo thing that he's been doing in season one which is clearly again they're trying to make him into new Kirk at least I think so I wanted to throw that out there see see what you guys thought about it I mean I think that's I think that's a good point and and I there they showed like the slightest of hesitation on his part and it would have been better if he had been much more hesitant mm-hmm. um, and maybe taken the higher road and been like, look, you know, <laughs> at least for a minute, <laughs> we're equals. We're, di- you know, diplomats like this is not what we're going to be doing. Um, yeah, just for just like more than just like a, oh, I shouldn't. OK, you know, <laughs> <Exactly>. um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I see your point. And uh, and it's weird to assume that like just because he is bigger and whatever, I mean, he could just as easily be seen as like. like disgusting to them right yeah um or uninteresting uh so you could have taken it other ways and made it or a little more interesting. or that may have been a really interesting plot point too to have him try to do the Riker thing which is like well how about i try you know he's almost like zap Ooh. brannigan in this right where yeah, he's like it, no it does mm-hmm. it's, it's it's the amazonian episode of futurama i mean it's yeah it's, yes. it's a large comparison here uh-huh another great example which is zap, zap brannigan and Riker are not too far off on that portrayal. Right. <laughs> and I think it might have I, so, been more interesting so, to watch him, you know, try it and then fail because, you know, she'd be like, ew, you're gross and covered yeah. in hair. What's wrong with you? <laughs> right. So mm. here's here's a just a clarification question for me because I, you know, I haven't seen the first the whole first season in a long time. I'm going back and watching these episodes as we talk about them. Um, but you guys have, I think, more recently watched the first, like, whatever 12 leading up to this one mm-hmm. um have they established at that point um you, sort of any of the potential relationship between Riker and say 
Troy, um, Troy or yeah. or even Yar or whoever. Like, because there's a point where you know they're like, "You're not going to go hang out with her, are you?" And then he says, "You know, oh, or is it just because she's an attractive woman?" You know, and they're like making fun of the way he's dressed and stuff. And like, like so that that angle could be taken as, "Oh, he's just trying to make them jealous, right?" Like he could just mm. be like, "Yeah, I'm going to go." Uh, do some diplomatic relations and you guys can't stop you know like it, if unless they're setting that up for the future but like it, it kind of felt like in isolation it's like well maybe there's some past history that they've already I know it happens later in the, sh- in the show a lot more but I don't know if it has this point or not episode 10 Haven it is played out quite a bit okay um, the Riker well, then that would be fresh and that would make sense I don't know if I told you guys this before but when I watched Next Generation when it was on television uh, I watched it in syndication and so I've never seen them in order. I've always seen mm-hmm. them in like separate. So I just always I don't know what's happened where. I mean I don't know if I've sat down and watched them in direct order. And so I just got used to not knowing a lot of the the backstory if I hadn't seen that particular story yet. Um, you just you know, yeah. They never, You've they always watched them in machete order, basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which I think it's how a lot of people did it. I mean that's. That's fairly common, which is another reason why, uh, you know, doing this podcast and, and kind of doing the, the guided tour of, uh, of TNG has been has been a lot of fun. But as as you pointed out, Ed, that's um, I, I kind of forgot that that was that's why they played Troy up as being there um, that, oh, this mm-hmm. is very similar to Betazoid culture. And, you know, she'd be a keen insight. And instead, she just takes a total backseat to Riker, just kind of broing it up there mm-hmm. a little bit, which is. Which is weird. Um, let's talk about just kind of how it all comes together because it does. Um, it's another one of those episodes that spends a while setting things up, setting up characters and places and motivations, and and I mean we're still getting them into well over half of the episode, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoop, yeah, we got to bring this thing into focus. So the virus is running out of control on the Enterprise. Um, ski fever. Ski fever. Ski fever is running <laughs> out of unchecked. Uh, aboard the Enterprise, um, Data is. I think he's sent back to the ship, right? Because he's the yeah, one pretty, person who can go back and. Not. Yeah, pretty close to the end. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so uh, Ramsey and his crew, basically, while they were hiding out and starting their mini revolution, um, you know, they're getting some people aboard. Some people who are so close to the top, i.e. Ariel, who's uh, Mistress Beata's second in command, um, has become his wife, and so they're uh, they're talking about you know revolution. They want to they want to bring equality for the sexes to Angel One. Too bad they're captured, and then um, they're basically hauled in, and and they make a big show of having them captured and putting them to death, which again seems. I don't know why it's always like these planets where it's just like, no, death is the only punishment for this. But um, <laughs> we got some of that injustice, uh, obviously, and, and we're, we're getting this again. Um, so we, we basically we got to solve this issue on the planet, um, but we also have to do so. Uh, you know, the Enterprise also has to solve the cure for this ski fever. Um, mm-hmm. So everyone can wrap things up, and then the Enterprise can hot foot it to the neutral zone because of the Romulans? Question mark. Am I getting all that right? Yeah. Is that sort of what oh, they, yep. they bring together? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's. I think Crusher at some point even says like, even goes to the lengths to point out like, 
this this uh, virus, this ski fever, isn't <laughs> fatal in the slightest. Like, uh, it's you know, people just have to rest and they cough for a while, but it's not fatal. Like, don't worry about it. Nobody's gonna die. But then you're the Romulans, because then it's like, well, I guess it's not that important. But, but oh, Romulans. So if she if she said that earlier, that's interesting because uh, they want to beam all the people aboard when they're gonna when they're like, oh, we're gonna kill them all. Um, like Riker's like, you know. Uh, like prime directive be damned let's get them out of here let's get them up on the ship and she says uh sorry i think you know they might just die up here too since stuff's gotten so bad yeah i she forgot does say she that. says it but mm-hmm. she does yeah, yeah I, I think they're working both sides and yeah. she says later that it's like well it seems pretty non-fatal everybody's kind of good i guess <laughs> and <laughs> so this virus is so ill-defined that we ski fever ski fever is so ill-defined <laughs> that we don't know what it's called so we made up a name ski fever um we don't know whether it's fatal or not it sounds like it it isn't um but it's still the thing that they're leaning on to try to make the episode work in a number of ways because it's the thing that prevents them from just haha escaping gallantly from the planet it's also the thing that that prevents the enterprise from being able to properly deal with the romulans because i think it was jordy who said like well we can't take on the romulans while you know we're battling ski fever um mm-hmm. which it seems again really weird and again maybe maybe an indication that this episode was um kind of dash together a little bit because um the resolution of it happens again really quickly and it's well and um we mentioned the prime directive before um we kind of brushed it aside because it was like oh what's the prime directive um it's that thing that says you shouldn't go screw around with this culture Mm -hmm. um but it comes back later too um it was it was bad enough in the beginning that they're not talking about it but later in the episode uh data uses it to say well why not just beam these people away and they're like well prime directive like they're not starfleet citizens and we can't just make them come with us it's like well uh, he he no he's, he said that um at first they were like well we'll just get them out of here and they're like well they're not we have no jurisdiction over them because they're not they're not uh, soldiers or whatever the term was they used or whatever but i think he says starfleet citizens or um starfleet federation yeah. citizens federation federation uh, citizens. yeah yeah, yeah. So they were just going to beam them out of there to safety, and then they were like, "No, we want to stay." And so, you know, that was that was the first time. But they bring it up again. So Data brings it up then, and says, "You can't do it." And yeah. Then um, later, they bring it up again when they want to beam them out to save them from being executed because they're interfering with their laws. Right. Yeah. Because the Prime yeah, Directive it's, it's, essentially applies to Angel One because Angel One is its own independent society and has sovereignty, especially on their home planet, and. Um, the the freighter um odin was not a starfleet freighter and so the crew of that freighter is not starfleet and so they can't be issued direct orders so that's where uh i think they they did kind of a weird job of drawing that out yeah but that's that's where it sits they can't they can't tell angel one what to do because angel one is their own society and they can't tell the guys from the odin what to do because they're not from starfleet so well, and I think what muddies it then is is maybe bringing the pride directive into it at all. They should just mm-hmm. say it like that and say, "Yeah, these people, we can't force them to do this, and we can't force these people." Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think the prime directive, as I know it later, is really about that first part, right? That 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 non-interference. Mm-hmm. Um, that is is here. I get I get to some degree that it's later in the second part, but it's also if you're going to call it here in the second in the the final act. 
then you need to talk about it early on when you're like, well, here's a pre-warp society that we are totally screwing around with and have been for decades. Yeah, and and I think I guess really for me to to really put my nerd glasses on cuz this is like, you know, this is the probably fifth or sixth time that we've talked about the prime directive on this podcast. It's pretty clear that at this point the prime directive is still something that they're figuring out exactly what that means. Cuz it goes yeah. all the way back to the original series days, but really all it ever said was non-interference is the prime directive. Um, which means they would adapt that episode by episode to serve whatever dramatic needs that they had. Eventually, I think what happens through TNG, and we kind of have the benefit of eventually seeing this, um, they'll they'll eventually kind of put more actual rules associated with, with the Prime Directive. And it goes two ways. Essentially, the Prime Directive, as I understand it, splits. For pre-warp civilizations, it means you basically you can't reveal your existence to them. Like if you're, mm. if, if you were to go visit some pre-warp society, you could go down there, but you would have to pretend to be people from that planet. Like you can't get found out. They can't know you exist because to do so and reveal this whole other race of people out there that are like, ah, well, we're from space uh, would, would mess with the natural development of that planet. Conversely, they bring up the Prime Directive in some great episodes uh, later on in dealing with even Klingon society. Um, when they have the, the two-parter between season three and four, um, when the Klingon High Council is thrown into turmoil and there's a general like civil war, um, they're really limited on what they can do and who they can support because it is an internal Klingon matter and the Prime Directive applies. That even though they have a certain group that they would want to win, they're not allowed to because it's seen as a natural development of the Klingon Empire, which obviously has warp drive and they're allied with and what have you. Um, so it becomes this really compelling thing uh, and a really good dramatic device. But, you know, it just it seems like that thing that right now they just keep throwing out there because they're like, nope, prime directive. <laughs> Guess we can't, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they don't really ever offer compelling reasons why. Yeah, it feels lazy at this point. And in this episode, they're basically just trying to say that, you know, they can't whisk everybody away. They can't beam off the planet. So Riker has to leverage all that uh, sexy time that he was, you know, paying the bills for earlier <laughs> and uh, make a connection, which um, they're like, correct me if I'm wrong, but at the end of the episode, they have people there and they're just like going to straight up execute them right there. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. In front of the. In front like of vaporize the, them. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's where the, the finale plays out. And um, I mean, basically, does Riker just make a speech about come on? Mm -hmm. Like that's. I mean, <laughs> come on. But I suspect it's not a revolution that Angel One is hoping to stop. It's evolution. Mr. Ramsey and the Odin survivors did not initiate the waves of dissent that are rippling through your planet. Their presence here merely reinforced the change in attitudes between men and women that was already well underway. They became symbols around whom others who shared their views could gather. You may eliminate the symbols, but that does not mean death to the issues which those symbols represent. Yeah, I mean, he, he makes good points that maybe could be made more eloquently but um he basically is saying you're, you're gonna make these people martyrs right that mm -hmm. this isn't the way to do this and then yeah. then she's like oh still gonna kill him 
And then the second in command, I've already forgotten her name. Uh, uh, Ariel. Ariel yells, like, Piata, stop. And she's like, mm, okay, I guess maybe we should. <laughs> so they go and then think about it and they come back and go, yeah, okay. Yeah. Good. But, it's but like, you know, strikers. they could just as easily just kill them as soon as they leave, right? <laughs> like they yeah. beam out and they're like, we did a good thing. And they're like, all right, now kill them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because the away team definitely just beams out, and uh, mm-hmm. everybody from the Odin is like, well, this is our home. Which, I don't know, after seven years on a planet, uh, I almost got killed. Maybe I'd be thinking something different about this place that I maybe is my yeah, home, quote unquote. That's the, that's the hardest thing for me to swallow of the whole. There's, so there's a scene where all of them are sort of in. Uh, those, I don't know, there's like 18 people that they have in this group that's, you know, developed over these seven years. And they're like, yeah, we'll get you all out of here. Like, we'll just get all of you. And the, the Ramsey's like, no, this is our home. We stay. Like, you can't tell me there isn't one person in that room that wouldn't go, you know what? I'm not, uh, forget what he's saying. I'm going to go with you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. uh, I mean, what's so great about the Shire he's living in, like that little <laughs> hobbit hole that, that he wants to stick around? I mean, he knows. He knows the advancements, right? Like he knows the Federation. He's like, been in space. Yeah. Comforts. Yeah. Um, it's so so weird because he gets to take the thing he loves, the people that he's met or whatever, with him. It's weird to think he would be so attached to that hole in the ground. That you know, I, that that was what was hardest for me to swallow is like why he wasn't just like, "Yep, get me out of here. Let's let's go. I'll, well, we can set up on somewhere nice." And, and, uh, and it's set up that like he is he's the hero here that's going to change this culture that's all backwards like that that by being martyrs and by standing up that he's going to change everything i think that's the picture that's painted that he realizes mm-hmm. and and again i guess to your point it's, it's maybe hard to understand how he got such a crazy tie to this world in seven years um that he would that he wants to change the entire world by by his actions but Oh no, you're right. It's hard to it's hard to get around. Yeah, it's um it's like that ultimate like, well, you know, I love this place so much that I'm going to change probably the most fundamentally thing about it. Like yep. it's mm-hmm. like what else is on this planet that made you go, I'm home, but oh well. Um It wasn't platinum. It, it clearly wasn't platinum. <laughs> yeah. We've established yeah. that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they beam up. The Enterprise warps off. Uh, also, Dr. Crusher found a cure. Hooray, Doctor. Um, <laughs> Captain Picard has a scene where uh, he sounds like me, <laughs> and he's back on the bridge and then uh, orders the ship to head for the neutral zone because everything's fine, and, and that's it. So um, anything <coughs> else about this episode before we start talking about bests, worsts, and, and recommendations? Um, Ed, you might know. Um, so the the Bechdel test, you've, yep. you've heard of the Bechdel test before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if you have Burns. Um, oh yeah, the the test that determines whether or not uh, a film has adequate yep. representation of women. Um, yep. So mm-hmm. the idea of two or more women uh, talking to each other, not about a man, without other men there. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I, uh, about this episode that's like, oh, it's a matriarchal society. You're sending down your two female um, bridge officers, mm-hmm. uh, and they still don't get there. They still <laughs> never get to a point where there's just right. two women talking about something that's not a man. 
Yep. And yeah. they get close, and it's like, well, Data's standing there just watching them, being like, don't worry, there's still a guy in the room. Don't worry. <laughs> and it, yeah, I mean, I think, like, we mentioned the uh, Futurama episode where this, this happens. There's also a Rick and Morty episode where they go to a, a, a matriarchal um, society. And in that episode, Rick starts shooting off at the mouth, and the, you know, the ruler says, oh, you know, control your slave or whatever. And so she tells him to shut up. Uh, his his granddaughter tells him to shut up. And I feel like they could have done that in this episode. Like, is when Riker goes in and tries to be, like, the guy in charge. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the you know, Beata could have just been like, we, we refuse to talk to this person. Like, we'll yeah. talk to you. Why you is know? he here? Yeah. And that they could have really played that up a lot more, I think. Yeah, um, yeah and I really could, like your idea from earlier that if you have Riker doing the exact same things and being really, like, Riker-y, Kirk-y, um, but then getting completely shut down and like, mm-hmm. oh, like you're you're just a man. Yeah. Then you get the punch out of this episode. Yeah. yeah, it feels like they went to all the trouble to put this premise together. Um, but because it's the 80s and probably everybody who wrote it is still turbo sexist. It, yeah. it winds up being uh, very it winds up being much more in the purview of Zap Brannigan and the planet of the Amazonians than uh, than an actual like fully fleshed out ideal of what a matriarchal society would look like. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, just, it's almost guaranteed there were no female writers, right? Yeah, that's I mean, probably true. At this point, uh, you know, I mean, DC Fontana was probably getting boxed out. Um, yeah, it's if anybody hasn't seen, uh, I, I think we've name checked it already once, but uh, Chaos on the Bridge, the documentary on Netflix, uh, is is very good to describe what was happening uh, in the production of Star Trek The Next Generation during when all of these episodes would have been produced. Um, so if some of them are kind of a train wreck, it's because things behind the scenes were were similar. Um, well, I think at this point, uh, unless there's anything else, uh, it's a pretty good point, I guess, to uh, get to our, our bests and our worsts. And uh, on this one, I think there will probably be a lot of worsts, so we'll save those for last because those will probably also be... <laughs> Uh, they'll have more of a punch, so we'll go around and share our bests. And Ed, since you're our guest, uh, why don't you go first? Uh, what was your best part of this episode? Uh, I have two of them, and they both occurred on the bridge, uh, which is interesting because of how much of the show takes place not on the bridge. Um, one was the sort of bro time between Jordy and Worf. Oh, that's mine. Damn it. <laughs> where where Jordy gets to sit in the captain's chair and you see how happy he is. And then, you know, uh, Worf gets sick and he's on his way out. And, you know, Jordy's like going to go look into something he would normally handle. And Worf's like, hey, you, you got bigger things to do now. Engineering to bridge. <sighs> LaForge here. The computer won't accept the variant climate controls. On my way. With all respect, Lieutenant, there are people to do that job now. The forest engineering, Lieutenant Wong knows that system. I'm sure she'll be able to resolve all problems. Worf? Thanks for the advice. Like, it's like, I can see <laughs> yep. him fist bumping, you know? Like, I love that scene. And then, and then uh, I just love, there's a shot, uh, you know, because you keep seeing everybody sort of, you know, um, disappearing because they're getting sick and then they send data back and there's a scene where like they finally cut back to him on uh on the ship and he's the only one there like he's just sitting in the bridge and he's just like 
it, I just like that, just the visual of seeing him sitting there and just being like, and he's completely emotionless, right? But it's just kind of funny that like there's just nobody else left. Like it's they're really trying to get it across that like everybody's out of commission except Crusher, who is around it all the time, which is pretty interesting. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so those are my favorite points. Yeah, Crusher's the most resistant to ski fever. Is, uh, is what fever? What we figured out, Paul. What was your uh, your best uh, moment? Well, I, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it was Jordan Wharf on the bridge. Like that. That was um, uh, for all the reasons I just said. It, it felt really natural, and it felt like people doing what they would be doing on a starship, and and um, that collaborative aspect. Um, and then when you started that, when I was like. Oh yeah, and then also also it would be that shot of data on the bridge. So you just stole mm-hmm. <laughs> two mm-hmm. two of mo- what must be the low hanging fruit here. Um, <laughs> birds, birds, you go. I'll think of something else. Well, I would I would just like to point out that on this episode, uh, there's not much of him, but where he is there is is to piggyback off of what you guys mentioned. I just think Jordy in this episode in general is actually turbo likable. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. much so that he's even got some really kind of nice, you know, one-liners. He's got some good interactions uh, with with Worf, but even even like small stuff, like um, he's about ready to, uh, or, or it's like right at the beginning of the episode, I think, when they're talking to uh, the planet, and they get cut off abruptly, and he just chimes in with, "Ever feel like you're not really wanted?" Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, later in the episode, uh, he gets a make it so moment, uh, which he mm-hmm. clearly relishes, uh, you know, because he gets put in command. Um, I think, you know, Jordy in this episode is is just is really fun to watch that uh, he's he's blooming into a character, which uh, I think will clearly become a fan favorite. And a, a lot of that shows through in this otherwise maybe mediocre episode. <laughs> Um, did that give you enough time, Paul, to think of something, or are you just gonna have to stick with uh, what you got? I mean, that's okay. No, I, I got it. It's Wes's outfit, kind of a, a half joke, half not. But somebody sat down and put together that outfit, right? Like mm-hmm. somebody in production got a memo across their desk that was like, "Hey, we got to dress up Wes to go to I don't know, like ski camp or something in the holodeck. Just, just figure it out." And that's what they came up with. They came up with like the Michelin Man outfit, <laughs> like. <laughs> Spray paint. Yeah, I would love it if Spray you just like silver. if you just like uh, focus group that to people. Like, <laughs> look at this kid wearing this outfit. He's in space. What do you think he's going to do? <laughs> I, I don't think skiing would be in the top. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Maybe they maybe that was what like the the bug people race was going to wear, and then they they scrapped that idea that they were going to be on screen, and they're like, we got these sitting around. You know, <laughs> nice callback to the bug people. Secondary. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if it was a secondary use, but <laughs> very possible. Um, so now we get to the most shameful parts of the episode, or the worsts. And uh, Ed, again, we'll we'll let you go first. Sure, um, I'm sure here we probably will come up with different worsts, and maybe not pull you know each other's. Uh, I, I I think my personal worst is just is the B story. I think that the the virus thing is, ski is fever. such a ski fever. Ski fever is such a cop-out. I mean, if they'd called it ski fever, I might feel differently about it. Um, but I just it it just seemed like lazy writing to me of like, oh, crap, we need something. Uh, virus. Like, yeah. turn it in. Turn in the draft. So that's my uh, my least favorite part. It feels well, a lot like um, the fake Twitter account, uh, TNG Season 8. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, where they always have some, you know, weird premise for an episode and then randomly thrown in something else. Um, West, West Coast King gets ski fever. You're <laughs> <laughs> incapacitated. Well, I mean, and, and there, that's the thing, right? It's like that where, where, like, okay, whatever, it, it passed through uh, Klingon scent or whatever where did it come from like there's there's literally like no yeah. it, 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 otherwise the the, the it's, all, it's all a holographic projection right <laughs> right like mm-hmm. like someone didn't clean the holodeck properly or something and that's why they picked it up while they were quote unquote skiing there I don't know that was Ensign McGee's job and he failed yeah, so. he got a host down the holodeck way to go McGee yeah. that's just great uh, Paul what's your uh, what's your worst part of this episode yeah, I think so. So mine is is quite a bit deeper, and maybe it does reflect that we've been watching a lot of these, um, and, and it's it's arcing across more than one episode at this point. Um, that it, it, it's that idea in the the open of the, of the theme song, right? Of going uh, to, to explore new civilizations, uh, going where no one has gone before. Um, that is really supposed to be the premise here right and it's a premise they they lifted from original series um and and now what 13 episodes in it's not feeling like that right so so and we just coming off an episode like data lore where like oh well we uh we were close to that planet you were found at data we were there 26 years ago let's go check on it again and then we're here, and it's like instead of it being a new planet that like we know nothing about, it's like oh yeah, hey, here's this planet we were here 62 years ago, so mm-hmm. they're not necessarily going to somewhere new. They're not exploring new civilizations. They're literally going back to places they've already been, um, which is so counter to that premise of like exploration that um, that they're supposed to be sort of carrying over from. The original series, which I mean, the original series does um, much better because it was was new. But even when they have a situation like this, where they could say, "Yeah, this is a planet we've never been to, but hey, we need to check it out because there's this freighter here, and and mm-hmm. this probably happened this way," it could still be a completely new planet. But they keep trying to prop it up with, "We've been here before," mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense it doesn't I, I, I don't see the need for it um and it cheapens the premise of the show at this point right yeah. it, it feels weird they're going to places they've already been yeah it's kind of weird too at the uh, when they were kind of given the rundown before they you know they go down to the planet's surface uh they give like a very cursory explanation of the planet um you know they'd yeah, say, they're not even doing it well <laughs> yeah and then and then speaking of data they go data do we miss anything else and then data rattles off this whole thing about no well they're you know they have a matriarchal system blah 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 you know and like wait a second or, like porn the, yeah. <laughs> you know. why isn't he briefing everybody because he knows a lot more and like they didn't think to start with that it was like, oh, it's partially human populated uh, mid whatever. Well, let's go. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Do we need to know anything else? Busy. Whatever. Let's just be down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You almost feel like uh, through that conversation, Data, should we know anything else? Oh, yeah. Tons. Great, Data. Save it for later. Let's go. The less I know, yeah. the, the less I'm going to think uh, of prime directive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. It's, uh, it does, in a lot of ways, feel like a very, a very backward episode uh, in a number of ways. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I think, oh, what is the worst? Because there, there's so many bad things in this episode. Um, but I think, 
Uh, I think that the whole thing, as it comes together, just um, it, it just doesn't execute. Like there are just there are motivations for for people that don't feel right. There are situations that seem like they're rushed together. I mean, like the whole episode just feels very very cobbled together and so for me that makes a very sloppy episode all the way around that that this is another episode that it it wasn't one particular thing that sunk this episode it was basically everything working together that just kind of really pulled it down um and i think i think that's the worst too because sometimes when there are um stories that could have been good but you feel like they just weren't because they were just handled really badly. That's almost the most disappointing thing. Because when I was researching this episode, when I was looking into it, I found this note on uh, on the Memory Alpha page for this episode. Patrick Berry is the person who wrote the story. In his original version of this story, uh, Beata was named Victoria. Um, she oh, that, Im- would, that would have fixed everything. That would have fixed everything right there. Um, and she imprisoned Riker... Uh, after he directly addressed her and then touched her hand, which I was like, how different is that from the episode that we actually got? Um, yeah. Well, w- and it's what we just described as being a better episode. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That that more of a demonstration of, no, this is a society where, where men don't have a place at the table. And uh, Tasha Yar in this version also uh, stunned Riker to prevent him from being killed and then took over command of the away team. Uh, in this version, Captain Picard was the only person on the Enterprise who was affected by ski fever. And um, the, the they explicitly called it ski fever in that version. <laughs> in that version. Clearly, again, the better version. Um, and then the male slaves started a revolution uh, led by someone named Lucas Jones. I don't think we had anybody named Lucas Jones who was who was killed. Um, that's that's Trent's that's Trent's slave name. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so I mean, clearly you can see this. Uh, it started somewhere, and then what we wound up with, um, you know, it seems like it it got the writers' room treatment on this one. Um, well, and what you just described is what what I think I'd called on earlier. It's like you need to have Riker get, you know, called back by someone like Yar. Say like, hey, this is this is not this type of situation. Um, shut up Riker, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. That, that this is, that he is not, uh, to be the person speaking in a planet that, uh, you know, is not used to hearing dudes, uh, take the lead, Mm -hmm. um, which feels like it's, it's a thing that just got entirely lost. So, so my worst part of the episode, I guess, would be just all those unexecuted like ideas. Cause there are some good ideas here. It's just, I, I think, I think some episodes are intrinsically bad. This one, just was executed badly um i think well it's it's a shame that to hear that it started out so much more um i don't know forward thinking or accurate to you know Mm -hmm. what would actually be compelling here and then then it it got written down and watered down yeah yep exactly so i think now we all know where we're going to sit with this one but uh i guess we have to ask the question is this uh something we recommend or or is this an episode that again only true Star Trek diehards, you know, need apply. And uh, Ed, I, I think I probably last time gave the same answer that like there's what I what would tell people, and then there's what <coughs> I personally think. So uh, I would say probably you can you could probably skip it. Uh, it does have some good points 
in it. Um, I don't even know if st- diehard people are really that into it, but uh, I, I really like, I think most people like the episodes where um, where they, they're interacting with a much more well-thought-out, well-developed alien society, you know, that have names that we recognize, uh, like Romulans, that sort of thing. Um, but I... I'm always most intrigued by these sort of monster of the week type of episodes where because and I think it's also partially just because of the way that I experience the show and these little bites out of order and whatever I knew each character and sort of what their personality was and how they would act and or how I think they would act in certain situations and so I was always more interested in these weird sort of hypothetical situations where it's either a planet or it's something in the holodeck that happens and you're like okay here's all these characters I know well let's plop them down how do I think they would react and then how did the writers think they'd react and I kind of like to see where those two things agree and disagree with each other so uh, I'm, I'm, that's probably why I keep picking these two and then also they just remind me much more of like the Odyssey <laughs> um, which I think obviously inspired a lot of these types of shows so yeah that's that's my, my two pronged response that I don't actually really hate this episode that much but I don't think most people have to see yeah. it yeah. you don't hate it that much but you can see how other people would basically Totally. Exactly. <laughs> gotcha. yep. uh, Paul, how about you? You know, as, as much as I think this episode is really poorly executed, um, I don't know. I, I think I'm sort of on the fence on this one, surprisingly. I don't think mm-hmm. I was thinking that, that I would be here. Um, I, I and, and what is bringing me close to the fence? I'm, I still think I'm on the side of the fence that says don't watch it. But what's bringing me close is that um, the the central trope here um, is an old trope, but but this is an old show, right? This is um, you're getting to see um, more or less through the lens of the '80s how this trope is implemented, um, and that the short answer is poorly. Um, but this is this is long enough ago that this is. While while certainly not the genesis of this this trope, like well, what if a planet was matriarchal and and all women? It's certainly in the early part of that um, that genesis of of other shows maybe getting it right later, um, or just straight up parodying it in in the Futurama episode we've been talking about. Um, so so I think there's interesting ideas here. They're done poorly. Um, they're a lot of them are just sort of railroaded out of the the script by things like needing to have Riker be Kirk. Um, but there are still some ideas here. Um, and maybe even watching it, that's that higher level and saying, well, let's watch this episode and think about it as what a matriarchal society would be like viewed by a all-male writing team in the 80s <laughs> is itself an interesting um, exercising in gender and gender roles, um, but but I mean that's so many hoops to jump through to say that you should watch this episode. That that I, I yeah you shouldn't watch this episode. Yeah, that's that is a uh, I'll give you credit as putting the most effort into trying to find some way to make an episode redeemed uh, as possible. I, I guess if you're teaching like a. Um, the women women's and gender studies class or something and 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 you get ski fever and you need to just pop out an episode of something one week you know 
this is not horrible. There, there you go. You can do worse. Yeah. Pop it on and be like, well, how could we have made this episode better? What is wrong with this this portrayal of this culture? Blah blah blah. Yeah. What's wrong with her? Yeah. It is. What's wrong with? It's it's kind of that's true. That's a that's a really good point that I hadn't thought of until we get right to this point. I'm I'm gonna have to say skip it, um, just because it's it's just. Uh, but not for the reasons that it's terrible. It's just, it's really, it's almost criminally mediocre. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so underdeveloped and half-baked in a number of ways, but but still could have been set much more interesting than it was, that it just makes it hard to watch and, and hard to recommend, I think. But if you do kind of watch it from that perspective of a, uh, this is a cultural artifact from the late 1980s, yeah, I mean, it's kind of fascinating uh, when you when you get to that point. Um, you know, what you just said, Jason, that's, a, that's an interesting point of, like, we just saw that <clears throat> the original idea, like, some writer came up with something, which was an interesting script that would have been less mediocre. And then a producer or somebody said, ah, let's back off that a little bit. Right. Let's make mm-hmm. that a, a little less interesting. Yep. And back can, to- is there any way that we can make uh, make it into an episode where they make fun of Riker for wearing uh, you know, sparkly outfits? Because yeah. I feel like that's going to really sell a lot better. <laughs> I like where you put Riker in the prison. How about we put him in like a skirt or something instead? I'm not I'm not wet to do a skirt. Maybe just a lot of chest hair. Just you, you figure it out. <laughs> figure it out at the writer's room. Right. I mean, it's your episode, so you <laughs> yeah, know, it's I mean, yours. But we're not we're not putting him in prison. That's what we're saying. <laughs> One thing I think maybe is for sure is this might have been Patrick Berry's rude awakening to uh, to the showbiz uh, because I am looking and I don't see his name listed uh, anywhere else uh, as a writer. So he was either a new writer or he was somebody who submitted a script or something, but uh, poor Patrick Barry got the treatment and, and that was pretty much it <laughs> for him. Wonder, wonder if he's still around. We should, uh, <laughs> should have had him fans, on the show. Yep. Fans reach out to him. <laughs> yeah. If you know a Patrick Barry, just send him to our website. Um, gentlemen, that's going to do it for angel one. Uh, again, Ed, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us for this discussion. Thanks, guys. I really like uh, I really like the podcast. I've been I've been listening to it myself actually, uh, even with the episodes I'm not in, which is uh, <laughs> it's, it's a big thing for me. Uh, and I have to say, I really appreciate you guys do something I don't think I've ever seen any other podcast do, which is you actually tell people not to listen to your podcast, which <laughs> I think is an interesting strategy. And I'm curious to see how it goes for you. We're we're the bravest podcast on the internet. <laughs> well, and we're gonna tell people we're gonna tell people right after this when we do the preview not to listen to this episode. So <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but listen to it because Ed's on it, uh, and it was a lot of fun to talk about. So, until next time, I'm Jason. I'm Paul. And watch out for ski fever. Don't we have a call to pay on the Romulans, Captain? Indeed, we do. Mr. Data set course for the neutral zone. Warp six. Coordinates set. Warp six. On your mark, sir. Okay. Sir? Engage.